morning and welcome to Tri-Cities Church. I'm glad that you are here. If you're visiting with us uh, for the first time, uh, we welcome you here. Uh, I, my name is Wesley. I'm one of the pastors here at Tri-Cities Church. Um, and also, uh, in, in the seats in front of you, there's these cards. And I just love to know that you're here. We love to be in prayer with you. So uh, if you're visiting with us for the first time, please fill out one of those cards uh, and let us know that you are here. And then on the back, if there's uh, anything that you want us to be praying with you about, uh, we'd love to be able to do that. You can just drop them in the buckets when we share an offering, these buckets on the table. You can just drop those cards in, in one of those uh, buckets. Well, uh, we're continuing in our series, and I've lost count of what week we're, we're in in our series through First Peter. Uh, it's an 11-week, uh, will be actually a 12-week series uh, in the book of First Peter. And what we've been looking at, and the thing that, um, that, that I felt like as is, is we were asking the question, what, what book should we uh, teach through, preach through uh, as, as a church? Um, uh, we landed on First Peter. As I was reading through several books, and when I was reading through First Peter, there was this, this challenge that I felt like was just ingrained throughout that entire book. And it's just that, that Peter's calling the church. He's saying, um, don't just believe, but be something, right? He's calling us to be something. So each week, we've been looking at what Peter is calling us to be that kind of flows out of, if you will, our belief. And so it's not just that we believe in Jesus Christ, because we, we can do that, right? We can, we can, we can, make, um, we can make belief a thing uh, that we attain, right? I've believed, and now I've arrived. Uh, but what Peter is saying is that, that belief is just the beginning of a lifetime of transformation. And I feel like this book, more than, more than many, I won't say more than any, but more than many in the New Testament, gives, gives life to the shape of the church. It begins to shape the church in a particular kind of way. And particularly a church, if you've been with us for the last several weeks, uh, particularly a church, as you, you know, uh, has been going through some suffering and some hardship and difficulty. And so as the church was going through hardship and there was no end in sight, Peter was not letting them off the hook for being something that flowed out of their belief. Uh, and so it's this book that, that really encourages us. And this week, I feel like um, Peter hits pause, right, for a moment. And, and, uh, he's, and he's saying, I'm not just calling you to be something just so you can look differently, but I'm doing something with this. And so we'll see this week what God is doing with our lives as we are shaped by, uh, by the gospel. Let's pray, and then we'll get into our message for this morning. God, we give you thanks um, that you uh, give us this opportunity to gather in this place and to study the scriptures and to have some focused time before you and your word. And God, I just, I, I pray that your words will they will enter our minds and our hearts like never before. That we'll hear them in fresh and new ways that will inspire us to action. And God, I just pray also that we won't turn inwardly to ourselves and find the strength to act in ways that are holy and righteous and honorable, but that we'll turn to you and that we will learn to depend on your spirit, which you've given us, to live within us, to empower us to live in your holy ways. And so, God, please guide us into all truth this morning, that we might embrace the life of faith more and more. It's in your Son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, well, um, 
Well, no one, no one likes the feeling of uh, feeling like they've been taken advantage of, right? And there's, there's all kinds of ways that that happens in, in our society. Now, I, I've, um, I, I consider myself to be a fairly good driver. My wife, I think, would agree, uh, would, would agree with me. Um, and uh, and, and, and uh, I do have some, some friends, and I've written in some cars with people who have a lot of road rage, right? And sometimes that can be a, a scary thing. Um, when, when people just get just angry behind the wheel, and because and, and, anger sometimes manifests itself irrationally. Um, and, and one of the things I've done, and I'm not, I'm not claiming to have always been a good driver, because there was a time in my life um, where, um, or I'll admit it, I, I was a fairly foolish driver. I've done some, some dumb stuff behind the wheel. Uh, a lot of teenage boys especially uh, can, can, uh, can, can admit to that, kind of falling in with the wrong crowd and um, um, yeah, street racing, all that kind of stuff. I, I didn't street race. My mom's sitting here, so she will still spank me. So I wasn't, uh, I wasn't street racing, but I was hanging out with some people that were. Okay, let's, let's just... Um, and, uh, and, and, but, but over the course of time, and I guess maturity, I, I began to ask the, the question, uh, really the question of what sense does it make to drive drive uh, foolishly? Like, what, what sense does it make? And I began to almost like, this, this, almost like put a logical order to um, my actions behind the steering wheel and, and began to think critically about different things. And when it comes to, to, to road rage, and I, I was trying to think about this, this just this week, is like, what is it that makes us so mad when someone cuts us off or when somebody, um, and you, when you're on the highway and the lanes come into it, this is one that, that gets me, when the lanes kind of come into an end, two lanes emerging, and this person gets over and they try to speed up to the front, or even right there on Washington Road. You know, on Washington Road, there's that one section by the old CVS that closed down uh, by Washington, close to rugby, and, and the, it turns into like a little two-lane for a short period of time, and then it, it, uh, it, it goes back to a one lane. And it's really so people can pass, but usually I'm going speed limit at least, or a little bit above, and so I think no, people don't have any responsibility, any um, um, they're not being responsible trying to get ahead of me, right? And so, like, when people do that and get over that, like, I, like, I just want to mash the gas and not let them pass. And, and I don't know what it is, but I think it's this, this idea of feeling like someone is taking advantage of me in some small small way. And maybe that's a silly thing. Uh, maybe, maybe it's at work and you've been just really, uh, you're just committed. You need your job and you put your time in and you put the work in and, and you do your job with all your might, right? Um, and, and it feels like, um, it, it feels like you're not appreciated, but, but it feels like your manager just constantly lays more and more weight and more and more responsibility on you. Like, like maybe he or she is taking advantage of you, your, your dedication, your willingness, and not really a, 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 a expressing, 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 expressing appreciation, right? Um, and and maybe, maybe that's, but something about that feeling that we're being, we're being taken advantage of, it just, it, it really, it gets to us. It, it irks us. And, and there gets to a point with, with most people, at least at some point, and all of us have different levels of tolerance. Maybe somebody cuts you off and it's just, you know, you just lose it. Um, or maybe it takes like five people cutting you off, or maybe it takes years of, of your manager just constantly piling more on you. But, but we, we all react in different levels, but 
for all of us, we have, we have our breaking point. We have our, our limit where it gets to be enough. And, and out of that, often we respond. And, and uh, I can't think of a better way but worldly expressions of power, if you know what I mean. Not maybe at first a worldly expression of power, maybe like I'm just not doing it and just walking off the job or, or resort to um, cursing either audibly or, or with sign language, some of us, right? When, when you're in the car or, or, or fighting, like when you get pushed to your limit, right? When somebody's taken advantage of you one too many times, there's this temptation with us, within us to do something about it. And usually it's, it's rather worldly and it's really a grasp for our identity. I'm not weak, right? I'm not going to let them do that to me. I'm not a pushover. I'm not going to let them pile more over me. They're not going to take advantage of me like that because it's our identity that we're trying to, um, to protect. None of us like feeling like we've been taken advantage of. Um, but when we read the scriptures, and I think this is something we got to come face to face with, and, and it, we got to let it, the challenge fall on us. When we read the scriptures, one of the things we see in the teachings of Jesus Christ is that following Jesus will put us in a position to be taken advantage of. Following Jesus will put us in a position to be taken advantage of. Jesus says stuff like, turn the other cheek, right? If somebody slaps you on the right, turn to him the left also, right? That puts us in a position to be taken advantage of. Jesus says, forgive 77 times, right? And he wasn't saying 77 different people. The same person comes back again and again and again. And nobody's there like, y'all remember when, when you were in school and you would do like the little things and you get the four, is it four? And then you would cross it and like, nobody's like keeping a tally of the number of times, I, I hope, you, you, you um, have forgiven. And Jesus, is, he's really just saying, hey, Forgive until you've lost track of the number of times that you've forgiven. And that puts us in a position to be taken advantage of. Jesus says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. We don't, we don't know persecution, but persecution in biblical times, as, as their ears would have heard, it was violent, right? And that put them in a position for them to be taken advantage of. Jesus saying, saying do this. Now, I, I um, and I wrestled with this, and I actually looked it up online, and I found this, this really good, um, a really good, um, a really good, well, maybe it wasn't that good. I, I can't say that it was good. But it was a blog that somebody had, had, had written, uh, and I, I know nothing about this lady or, or anything about her, but she had written this thing, and really what she was, what she was investigating is what's, what's the What's the boundary between, like, um, uh, uh, following Jesus Christ, right, and forgiving 77 times and having good boundaries, right? Having good boundaries in your relationships where you're not just letting people run over you unproductively. And really what she, it wasn't that good, is the reason, because she gets to the end, she was like, I, well, I really don't know. But I, and, but, I, but I think here's the answer, right? Because, because, because my go-to is, well, well time, you get once, maybe twice, right? Um, and, and I'm just not going to let somebody run all over me. I, I'm not a pushover. I'm protecting my identity. That's the way that I'm shaped. But I, I think following Jesus requires us to take seriously Jesus' teachings that make us extremely uncomfortable, right? Stuff like turn the other cheek, stuff like love your enemy. And, and so I have to be able to turn to myself and ask myself that question. Am I taking seriously this teaching from Jesus? Or, I'm saying, or am I just saying, well, I'm just not going to let that happen. It's just not going to happen. Not as long as I'm living, breathing, standing on two feet. They're just not going to do that to me, right? But, but am I taking seriously? Because what we've been saying the last couple of weeks 
is Jesus is more concerned with our character than our comfort. Jesus is more concerned with our character than our comfort. He's shaping a particular, peculiar even, if you will, people who look different from the world and don't respond immediately with worldly expressions of power to try to grab hold of their identity. Now, Peter follows in the same vein in this book that Jesus follows in. In fact, let me just read you the first couple of verses of the section um, that that we're looking at this morning in 1 Peter uh, chapter 3. I'm going to begin in in verse 8. Listen to what it says. It says, Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you might, might inherit a blessing, right? Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but repay evil with blessing, insult with blessing. It sounds very much Jesus-like. And I, and I, I um, what, what Peter, and I, there are several times in this book that he, he uses the word Lord to refer um, to Jesus Christ, that he must be Lord. And, and now in the church, because we don't use the word Lord a lot in our society, there's some, sometimes we're kind of getting away from this, using this word Lord for Jesus uh, in, in some settings, um, because Lord is just a foreign word for us unless you were in the church, right? Um, we, don't, we don't call our bosses our Lords. You don't go to work and say, hey, Lord, 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 can I get off early? No, nobody really does that anymore. Um, it just doesn't, it just, <laughs> they look at you like you were crazy. I hope you don't do that. Um, because it's just a phrase, a word that we just, just don't use anymore. We've lost sight of what it means for Jesus to be our Lord, right? It, it means... Um, it means that we've found ourselves completely in him, like completely in him, that our identity has now changed. The Bible says we are a new creation in Christ. Now, here's what, what, what happens. Because often we either grow up in the church or you hear some great sermon that causes you to have this emotional response. You accept Jesus Christ as Lord. Somebody dunks you underwater. You're baptized into Christ. And before you know it, you don't don't really know what you signed up for. And you're sitting there going, "What, what, what in the world did I get myself into? And I think this is one of those moments when we as the church as people who have claimed Jesus to be our Lord, need to step back and ask the question, is he really, like, is he really my master? Does he really direct my steps? Do I really take his word seriously? Because if I do, then this evil, I won't be returning evil for evil or insult with insult, but I'll be putting my all into living like Jesus is my Lord so that I trust him with my all. Because here's the deal, right? We, we, um, that Jesus, the lordship of Jesus Christ in our life comes out of this radical view of the sovereignty of God, that God is all powerful, that, that he's totally in control, no matter what things look like, no matter 
matter what they feel like, no matter what's going on around me, what my environment says, that, that Jesus is totally, God is totally in control. Therefore, I make Jesus Christ Lord of my life, right? And, 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 and that's, that, that for the early church, I think they, they got it, and we, we are struggling with it today. And I, I imagine they struggle. I don't want to make the early church perfect, because I think they were probably struggling with it too. Um, but that is a consuming new identity. And we respond to situations differently. I like the way when Paul talks about it, he talks about putting to death the flesh, right? There's this natural instinct that we have uh, by nature of our birth and upbringing. There's this natural instinct to respond to situations in a particular kind of way. And when Jesus Christ becomes Lord, that flesh, that natural instinct, it must die, right? It must die. It must really go away. We can't sit back and... Um, and uh, and, 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 and jokingly say, um, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm still a work in progress, right? It, it's true, right? it's true. I just kind of squeaked there. It's true, we are still works in progress, um, but we can't jokingly take lightly the scriptures that call us not to act out of our flesh, but to act out of the lordship of Jesus Christ himself. The church must look different. The church must live in a way that it begins to look different. And what Peter does here in this section is he's showing us that the lordship of Jesus Christ in our life activates a lifetime of transformation in our lives, right? Once we accept Jesus Christ as Lord, there's this lifetime of transformation that happens. And this transformation begins on the inside and then begins to flow to the outside. And so there's these five things in, in this first Peter chapter three in verse, verse eight. Um, that, that Peter shows us what this inward transformation looks like, what it looks like uh, to, to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and, and begin being changed or shaped in a new way uh, for Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says. He says, finally, all of you. And so we've been in this section um, for a while. We started in, um, we started in chapter 2. Uh, and and uh, where it was talking about uh, submission, and we've been in that. And so he's been talking about, he says, submit to human authorities, that he talks about husbands and, or slaves to submit, and we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. So if you've got questions about that, look back a couple of weeks ago. Um, and, uh, and then he talks about husbands and wives and what submission looks like there. And he says, finally, all of you, right? And he's talking to the church, right? Finally, all of you. This is, this is a word for the entire church is what Peter is saying. Be like-minded, right? Be like-minded. Basically, he's saying have, this, have a singular purpose, right? All of you, the church, have the same purpose um, to glorify God. And I, I, um, I've learned to start thinking about this almost like a filter that I put before my actions, right? And it's the question of, does this glorify God, right? Does this glorify God or does this hinder the glory of God in this world, right? Does this, does this go to make God known? Does this go to make God more famous? Does this, does this look good on God, right? This action that I take, this step, whatever it is that I'm doing, does this, does this point to the goodness of God or not? And, and, um, you know, this, this morning I was talking with the worship team, and one of the things I, well, we're not really talking in my prayer uh, with the worship team, I said something about um, this, we're, we were share we share communion before, we share kind of a devotional time with the worship team before, and we share communion, and one of the things I, I mentioned in that prayer was um, 
that, that there's this real freedom that we have in Jesus Christ, right, to live a different kind of life, right, that our lives actually do look differently because Jesus died for our sins, or we are free for our lives to look differently um, because of the fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins. And, and part of living into that freedom is breaking the old habits, not 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 detaching ourselves from an old way of life. For that old way of life has been cut off from us in Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ died on the cross and was raised to new life, he triumphed over sin and our behalf. Now we've been set free. So we've been free, but there's still old habits that we have to break free from. And one of the things that I think is, it has to become kind of a habitual thing, right? Because this isn't going to happen naturally. It has to be intentional, but it has to become a habitual thing. And that's before I act, I must pause and say, um, does this glorify God or does it detract from the glory of God? Because Peter's saying, hey, the church is responsible for being like-minded, having a singular purpose. Next thing he says, be sympathetic, which is to have shared feelings. That is, that, that is not to understand immediately uh, the feelings of others, right? Whether it's joy or sorrow, whether it's fear or frustration, no matter what their feeling is, it doesn't mean that we understand it, but it does mean that we seek to understand and share those feelings. Um, in Romans, Paul puts it this way, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. It, it don't dismiss, is what Peter is saying, don't dismiss the feeling and experience of other people, uh, but try to enter into that. Be sympathetic. Try to enter into that, but, but also rejoice with them, mourn with them, even when you, when you don't understand it. Third thing he says, and these are characteristics that are shaping uh, the church, this inward transformation so that we can be outwardly transformed. Third thing he says, love one another. This is a, a, a familial or brotherly Kind of, kind of love. And so he's saying, hey, within the church, there should be a particular kind of love where we care for one another, where we're not disconnected from each other. A couple of years ago, actually, I think now, we did a series that we called it Love is a Verb. Y'all remember that? Um, and it was talking about the fact that we can't love our brothers and sisters without there being some action to follow that up. And so Peter says, love must be uh, uh, an active kind of love. And so he says, love one another, be compassionate, that's sharing the suffering of others, sharing the suffering of others. And this isn't, um, this isn't, uh, this isn't this, oh, oh, um, oh, well, we don't, we don't call people brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so so much uh, at Tri-State Church, but oh, oh, uh, brother Vernon over there is, he's, man, he's suffering. He's going through some hard time. Let's put Brother Vernon on our prayer. This isn't, this isn't that kind of, compassion doesn't play out that way, right? Compassion is this, um, that, that uh, Brother Vernon over here is, is he, he's, he's going through a hard time, and I'm, I'm I am, this, is, this doesn't happen naturally always, um, but I'm feeling the weight of his suffering. You see, compassion has to do with entering into one's suffering so that we suffer ourselves. And no one suffers physically in their body without thinking, wanting, acting to change it. And so if Mr. Vernon over here is suffering, 
I need to be feeling that and acting to do something about it. And so Peter's giving this unique shape to the church, right? That the church is a different kind of community that's connected with each other in a different kind of way. The third thing he says is, is uh, be humble, right? Uh, and that's to put others before oneself, right? Put others before yourself. And these, these attributes, when we combine them, they lead to this outward transformation where we live differently in this world. And we respond to people differently, both in the church and out of the church. Because listen to what he says, and that's the verse that we, we kind of emphasized when we were getting started. Verse 9, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repair, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. What we cannot expect to happen is we accept Jesus Christ as Lord, we're baptized into Jesus, we raised to, at least the preacher says, new life in Jesus Christ. We can't expect that this comes automatically, right? What, what must come intentionally, not automatically, is that we begin to work on these characteristics, right? The church that is taking seriously the Lordship of Jesus Christ begins to say, how is my life being shaped by the singular purpose to glorify God? How is my life becoming more sympathetic? How am I entering into and seeking to understand the feelings of others, right? How am I loving one another through action, through verbs, right? How am I being compassionate? How am I feeling the suffering of others and working to do that, right? Working towards that and praying towards that and making that an intentional thing in our lives, um, because it's only as we are shaped in that way, and, and I'll leave, uh, in, in a progressive way, not an immediate way, but only as we're shaped in that kind of progressive way does this become true. Do not repay evil for evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessings because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Now, I think this, this has application both in and out of the church. First thing that it teaches us is that the church must handle conflict different than the world does. The church must, this is part of um, um, we'll talk in a minute about the church's witness, right? That the church must take seriously the way that it handles conflict. Now, now um, church is not like your job, right? Uh, although although it sh- sh- people should have more commitment. Uh, <clears throat> I wish that people would have more commitment to the church and the life of the church, right? If somebody makes you mad at work, you're, you're going back, right? You're going back because you got to eat right? You got to pay bills. You got rent, right? You're going back to work, even if somebody makes, but listen, this is what happens in the church. Somebody makes somebody mad in church. I'm not going back to that church, right? That's just the way it plays out. I see it happen over and over and over again, right? Or I'm, I'm, I'm going to, uh, your boss makes you, 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 your manager makes you mad at work. You're still going to have to talk to him the next morning or her the next morning, right? You're still going to have to say hello. You might not like it. You might not do it with a smile, but, but I, people get mad at each other in the church. One sits on this side, the other one's sitting on this side. I can come. There's enough people in here. We don't even have to talk to each other. And, and that's the way that begins to play out. But what Peter is showing us, that is we're shaped by the gospel. Right? Here's what happens. Right? We handle conflict differently. We repay even if, right? All right, let's say, let's say even if 
He did it intentionally. He said it just to poke at me. He knew that would make me mad. Even if, right? Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. I tell you, there was, I was reading this this week, and, um, and, and I'm like, I got to preach this. And I'm, uh, the last several weeks, and, and Peter, Peter in general has been difficult. Um, but the last several weeks particularly has been difficult. And, uh, and so, like, I'm reading this, and I'm like, you know, it, it <laughs> this is weird, but it changed the way I was praying because <clears throat> that makes me uncomfortable. And so, like, I'm like, I'm, I'm, like, I'm praying, God, please don't let anyone insult me, right? Um, because I don't want to have to respond in, with, to insult with blessing. Like, so I'm like, instead of like, God, please help my response. Please give me a calm personality and change my character so that I can respond in love to somebody that hurts me. Instead of praying that, I'm like, please, God, don't let anybody insult me because I'm preaching this, and the preacher got to practice what he preaches, right? And I'm like, golly, like, I don't really want to hear it. Um, But what, what Peter is saying is the church lives out its existence, its life differently, right? And it's not just in here. This begins to flow outside of these doors. This is almost like training ground, right? You get your relationships right in here, and you got to start getting them right out there. And, and here's the deal that Peter's, um, um, that, that he's, he's, um, that he gets at in this section, which makes me even, even more uncomfortable, uh, is, is that this isn't, this isn't results-driven, right? This isn't, um, Peter's not saying, well, just, just kill him with kindness, right? He's, he's not saying that, right? That's, that's, because, all right, let's just look at, look at what he says in, in verse, um, where, where was I? Um, yeah, but I, no, I'll, skip, I'll skip down to verse 13, and I'll come back to those other ones. Um, um, in verse 13, he says, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? And they're like, yeah, killing them with kindness. Nobody, nobody's going to, right, if I do good to them, they're going to soften, their heart's going to soften. But then listen to what he says in verse 14, the very next verse. But even if you should suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed, right? Um, do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. I was like, that's not what I want. He almost set me up. Right? It, was almost, it feels like a rhetorical question. Who is going to um, harm you if you're eager to do what is good? Nobody, right? Nobody. This is good. We're killing them with our kindness. And then Peter's like, no. Right? Kindness may not soften their heart. Right? You, you may turn the other cheek, and they may really take the opportunity to hit the other one. Right? You may forgive 58 times, and you may find yourself next week having to forgive 59. Right? Um, for the early church, it, for the early church, all their prayers, this is, y'all can tell this makes me uncomfortable even to say it, all their prayers for the people who were persecuting them did not stop the persecution. There were people who died before they said Amen while they were praying for those who were persecuting them. And this is a hard message that Peter is teaching. You see, what Peter is teaching is that it's not about killing them with kindness. It's not results-driven, but it's all about this relationship that we have 
with Jesus Christ that is transforming us. It's about character, not about comfort. In every area of our lives, as you look back at verse 10, that verse that I I, kind of shot past, verse 10 through 12, but listen to what it says. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil, their lips from deceitful speech. That means you can't even, you can't even talk bad about them behind their back. Because God is shaping a particular kind of character and a person who is committed to living with integrity that lives in every situation the same way, right? So they keep their tongue from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This isn't about results, right? Getting the results that we want getting them to treat us differently, but it's about a relationship that we have with Jesus Christ that is shaping us. And this is the only way, um, this is the only way that the gospel, the gospel works, right? It, it works as we are shaped by it regardless of our environment. Because as the first, church, first century church illustrates, times get tough, <laughs> right? Times get real tough. Things are challenging for us. You will feel the weight of the pressure of life. And Peter's not saying, whoa, right? When, when you feel that pressure, you can, you can kind of put some of these morals aside. Just make it through it, right? He's not, he's not saying just make it through it. He's saying that you are called to be a witness for Jesus Christ through it. And if you're going to take seriously the lordship of Jesus Christ, you've got to be a witness in every single environment. And then he does this, this um, kind of unique thing in, in verse 15. He teaches us to be prepared for God to open a door for us to witness with our words. And I feel like this is the culmination of chapter 2 and what we've seen so far in chapter 3 is that he's teaching some really hard teachings, all this stuff about submission and all this stuff about doing right even when others aren't doing right towards us, even about doing um, right to those who are persecuting us and for the early church taking their life. And when he's talking about this character, not um, comfort, all of this stuff is leading up to this, right, that, that we are portraying godly character in every environment because God will use that. God can and does use that to open a door for our witness. Look at verse 15. But in your hearts, right, flowing directly out of what he's been teaching, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Now, what Peter isn't teaching here uh, is um, that your church needs to develop an um, a, a outreach program or an evangelism program where we go out and stand, as I once did, in front of the Piggly Wiggly on Washington Road and hand out flyers about Jesus Christ to people. What Peter's not saying is, is that. What, what Peter's not saying is you go to work and you sit in the cubicle next to the person in the, person in the next cubicle, and every now and then you, you make sure you say, 
oh, praise the Lord, right? He's not saying that that's what you say. So you're throwing hints that the Lord is good over the cubicle to the next person so that you can like tuck your head around and say, hey, do you know Jesus? Right? He's not saying as someone did me. I, used to, I think I told you all this story once. I used to work when I was a, stu- I was a student here at Point University, uh, next door at Point University. Um, uh, when, when the college was here, and uh, and I used to work at Home Depot, right? And I worked my way through through college at Home Depot, and I was on the forklift, and I was riding the forklift one day, and this guy comes up. This is before they had the guys with the flags and stuff, which was a good idea. This guy comes up, and he's like, "Hey, hey, hey!" I thought he had a question. He was like, "Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior?" I'm like, "Whoa, whoa!" Like I'm on a forklift, like. <laughs> Like, I'm on a forklift. Like, now is not the time, right? Um, I, and I don't know what, how he had been trained and taught on outreach and evangelism, but that's not what Peter's saying here. What Peter's saying here is that in every environment, you uphold godly character so that the church begins to look differently, both by the way we relate to our, with one another and the way we relate to others, and that itself opens a door, and that we as a church got to be prepared for when God opens that door because we never know when it's going to happen. But it's not going to happen unless our lives look different. Because he says, um, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope you have. Now, unless you're walking around with a shirt that says, I have hope, right? Which, which that wouldn't be a bad shirt <laughs> to have. I kind of like that idea. Um, But unless you're walking around with a shirt that says, I have hope within me, nobody's going to ask you the reason for the hope you have unless your life looks different and they can see that you have hope in the midst of desperate and difficult times and that you uphold Christian character in the midst of desperate and difficult times. That question is just not coming. And so Peter's saying, hey, I feel firmly believe that you, the church, you are going to take this message seriously, and there's going to be somebody who's going to ask you, why do you live the way that you live? What's the foundation of the hope that you have? Why are you treating me differently? Why have you forgiven me 76 times? They don't know you only got one, one time to go, right? <laughs> right? So why have you forgiven me 76 times, right? Um, and, uh, and that's an open door for you to tell them about Jesus. And what Peter does here, and I love what he does, and again, like I keep saying, we're going to come back to this even more about sharing our faith, but look, look at what Peter does. He kind of he lays out some ground rules. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope you have within you, but do this with gentleness and respect. In other words, there are times that God will open a door by the way you live your life, And if we don't handle that open door with gentleness and respect, we will slam it shut. I feel like Peter's saying to us, the church today, that no one's heart is changed in a heated debate. No one's heart is changed through forceful evangelism or sharing of your faith. Rather, people dig their heels in deeper. And they develop stronger arguments so that they can defeat, dismantle, and tear down your argument. And what Peter wants you to see is when God's opened a door before you, that open door is precious. Handle it with gentleness and respect. 
Don't, don't try to force people to accept Jesus Christ. Don't try to manipulate people into accepting Jesus Christ. Don't try to even get them to always think about their death and where they're going after they die, right? Don't, just don't go there, right? Uh, but handle it with gentleness and respect. Begin, I, I like, um, there's a psalm that says, let the redeemed of the Lord, different versions, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Literally, it says, let, uh, or it says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, but literally it says, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Simply have your story of why you believe and why you go to church and why you're committed to living differently. Have that story ready. Right? Have it ready. Maybe practice it. That's, that's what I do, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, people always say, how do you stand up here and like just talk? I'm like, eh, kind of practice, right? Kind of practice it. Practice your story, right? Begin practicing your story so that when people ask you a reason for the hope that is within you, maybe open the Bible and begin finding scriptures that, that, that maybe you've, you've um, they've been shaped, they've shaped you in some kind of way. You might not know exactly where they're found, but begin finding those scriptures. Begin developing your story. Something that all of us can do is we can write a story. And we can memorize a story so that it's present with us and ready when people say, what's the reason for the hope that you have within you? Because here's, here's the thing we've lost, we've lost sense of. We've lost sense of this urgency for people to accept the gospel. And so when somebody says, hey, what's your story we say, hey, I go to Tri-Cities Church at 2619 Benton Hill Road, uh, East Point. You should come sometime. My pastor would tell me my story, tell you my story. Right? That, that's the way we're treating this precious open door that God has given us. That person may never, unless you're breaking in their house, handcuffing them and dragging them to church, they may never come into these doors and they don't know the reason for the hope that is within you. So we got to be armed, ready with our story if we're going to take seriously living out our faith. And then the second thing he says, he says, um, he says but do this with gentleness and respect. And he says, keep it a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of your slander. He's saying live with integrity in every environment so that the door that God has opened isn't slammed shut by that person's opportunity to say, you don't even believe this. Right? You, don't, you don't even embrace the gospel. Now this doesn't mean that we're buying ourselves an out from telling people about our faith because I'm just still a work in progress. God's still working on me. I'm just not there yet to tell my story. Your story is your story. If you've been baptized into Jesus Christ, if you've declared your belief in him, you have a story to tell. It's not about getting your life right first, right? But it's about you have a story to tell, and you are a work in progress. But he's also saying, uh, take seriously that work so that you can have a clear conscience, so that you live with integrity, so that you can realize that you can, by the way you live your life, shut the door that God has opened, and that's a sad thing. That's a sad reality. So here, Peter's been char challenging us, and I hope next week gets a little bit uh, lighter for us. Uh, Peter's been challenging us to live 
in difficult ways to embrace a lifestyle that looks different from the world. He's been challenging the church to have a different kind of character that's clear and obvious that people aren't like, who are those normal people gathering in the church, right? Rather, people should be going, who are those abnormal people gathering in that church building at 2619, right? Who are those those weird, strange, abnormal people who handle their relationships differently, deal with conflict differently, respect authority, submit to those who seek only their detriment, right? Who are those people? And we can say we are people whose lives have been built on the foundation of Jesus Christ himself, who once lived and walked upon this earth, who suffered um, for our sins, was beaten, was nailed to a cross, was uh, buried in a sealed grave, right? Who rose from the dead after three days, just like he said he would, who appeared to his disciples, whose story is written right here, who's still alive and at work in this world. That's my story. There's a God who's set me free, given me a new identity where I now have purpose and meaning and new life, and I'm walking into that newness of life. You wonder why I look different? It's because God has given me a new life, and he intended that to look differently. we got to be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within us, because I believe that we as Tri-Cities Church are going to look different. It's written on our chest. (laughs) Let's pray. God, we give you thanks this morning that... uh, We give you thanks this morning that, yeah, you call us to be a different kind of people. And it's not just about, just kind of like the way our world embraces being different. It's not not about standing out in a crowd or like um, embracing my own unique sense of style. It's not about, it's not about that. But it's about the resurrected Jesus Christ, the one who has saved us and freed us. And we never, we never want to live our lives abusing freedom, being freed and living like we're still bound to sin, bound to our natural instincts and flesh. But God, I, I pray that we we'll look back with, at, at our freedom that we have in Jesus Christ with thankfulness and gratitude in our heart and that that will renew a commitment and dedication to live differently and that by the power of it, that different way of life will become actual in our everyday lives. God, I just pray that that'll be so, and not so much so that people can say, oh, you're, you're good, you're, you're a good person, you do good things, but so that people might come to know your goodness, that they may become to know your grace and your salvation, and that they will know very simply that we are yours that we are yours. It's in your son Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.